Uh, man, I just really appreciated the worship music we just had, and uh, such a joy to be with you. It really is. Um, <clears throat> so, man, we're living in such amazing days. Uh, how, how have you been doing with COVID-19? <clears throat> um, we, we all are living in amazing days. <clears throat> and uh, recently on Facebook, I have a cousin who posted some things, and I thought I would borrow from what she shared recently. This, this is amazing. Okay, so um, what she posted, he, here's what she posted. No, trust the experts. No, not those experts. <laughs> Don't wear a mask. Oh, wear a mask. <laughs> but only the good ones. Wait, um, never mind on the mask. But if you don't wear one, you, uh, you hate people because you could be an asymptomatic uh, spreader. Um, wait, that's not a thing anymore? <laughs> I woke up this morning, and who has just made this announcement? There's, uh, you, you're not contagious if you have asymptomatic. A system, uh, how do you, uh, asymptomatic symptoms. For three months, nothing was more important than social distancing. In fact, we gave up all of our liberties for it. We canceled medical and dental procedures. We canceled activities, closed businesses, eliminated every spring rite of passage from prom to graduation. We were denied the opportunity to sit with dying loved ones and to add insult to injury to even deny them a proper burial. I'm really confused now. Look at the data. No, not that data. <laughs> do the math. No, don't. You can't do the math like that. Only the experts can understand the data and the math. Why do you, what do you mean other cities and provinces and premiers are interpreting the data differently? Pools are safe in one province, but not in another? Playgrounds are safe in your town, but not mine? Amusement parks are safe there, but not here? If you're silent, you're part of the problem. If you speak, you're part of the problem. If you have to ask, you don't understand. If you don't ask, then you don't care and you're racist. <laughs> you know I'm not making this up. Okay, this is 2020. It's all so predictable, tedious, and exhausting. Nothing adds up. Rules upon rules, no end in sight. And next week, the rules will be, could be the opposite of this week. Can you identify with this COVID confusion, the conundrums and the chaos in some ways? <clears throat> hey, speaking of rules, have you ever done a Bible study on what God says about rules? This morning, I would like to talk with you about living by the rules. And I invite you to join me on a survey trip from Genesis to Revelation to look at what God thinks about rules. Since there are 66 books in the Bible, maybe the survey trip would be more accurately described as a brief helicopter ride. There are several ways to study the Bible. We could take a passage and drill down for some gold nuggets. 
This morning, I'd like to capture a few stories from the Old and New Testaments to understand what God wants us to know about rules. What rules did you have in your home of origin? Most all of us had stated rules and unstated ones. The stated ones in my home of origin were, number one, don't throw stones. Number two, don't ride your bicycle in the street. These types of rules were obviously for my good, so that I would live a long life without hurting myself or others. The very first rule in Scripture shows up in Genesis chapter 2, and I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. God gives Adam his first tour of the Garden of Eden, telling him in verse 16, Genesis 2 verse 16, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. It's the first time the word not appears in Scripture. God says, I'm giving this rule for you to stay living. The moment you eat from this tree, you will start to die. Why would God tell Adam that? Because Adam needed a reminder, a symbol of God's lordship over him. That tree was that symbol. As long as that tree stood with its fruit untouched, Adam was acknowledging that God was ruler over him. And God had every right to establish this rule because God created Adam. Eventually, the serpent questions Adam's wife Eve about this first rule. The serpent says to Eve, Hey, do you, do you really think this rule is true? Of course it's not true. The very opposite is true. If you would break that silly rule and eat from the fruit of that tree, you will be amazed at how smart you will immediately feel. Go ahead, try it. And Adam, standing by her, not saying a word to even caution her on his own free will, bit into the fruit along with her, biting into death. And sure enough, Adam and Eve began to die. We know they began to die because their death immediately showed up in their relationship when Eve blamed Adam, uh, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and we start the circular, it's not my fault. We're talking death. Fast forward to another era, era in the biblical story of redemption. You could turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. God decides to raise up a nation of unique people for the purpose of spreading the good news of his redemption to the entire world. The story actually starts in Genesis chapter 12 with God calling Abraham as the father of this nation. A couple hundred years later, the people of Israel become slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they become so beaten down with no self-identity and God raises up Moses to lead the people out of slavery to the promised land. Pharaoh has all the power, and he is in no hurry to free his slaves. But after a series of plagues from God, Pharaoh finally tells the Israelites, they are no longer slaves, please leave. So they start their journey toward the promised land. 
On their way, they spend several weeks camping out at the base of Mount Sinai. After 400 years of living their lives as slaves, they obviously need a start from first base to figure out what their new culture of freedom would be like. So God, in his great wisdom, gives them ten big rules they needed to live by. We know them as the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, we'll start referencing verses 3 to 17. What's the context? When God lists ten big rules for these couple million people, he is declaring what is sacred. Because the Israelites... We're in a polytheistic country of Egypt where everything was sacred. Every stone, every cloud, everything was sacred. God is saying, okay, you guys, you need to understand there's basically ten things sacred. Let's just nail these ten. Verse 3. My very being is sacred. So don't have any other gods. God and God only should be everyone's God. Verse 4. Worshiping me is sacred, so don't make any other idol. God is to be worshipped as the eternal great spirit. Verse 7, my name is sacred, so don't take my name in vain. Don't disrespect God's name. Verse 8, my day is sacred, so keep the Sabbath day holy. God requires of us a weekly day of rest. Verse 12, family is sacred. So honor your parents. Respect your parents. Verse 13, life is sacred. So don't murder. Every person should have the right to life. Verse 14, marriage is sacred. So don't commit adultery. Protect your, bar- your marriage vow. Verse 15. Property rights are sacred. So don't steal. Respect for people includes respect for their property. Verse 16. Truth is sacred. So don't lie. Respect for people includes their reputation. Verse 17. Thoughts are sacred. So don't covet. Respect for people begins in our hearts. Pretty heavy. Pretty heavy, all-encompassing rules. Those ten rules eventually become the basis for the constitutions of numerous nations around the world. Then, from Exodus 21 through the book of Leviticus, God gives many hundreds of other rules as God applies his ten big rules to a broad range of issues such as human rights, civil laws, social laws such as capital offenses, physical injury, property damage, borrowing, legal justice, and even festivals. That's Exodus and Leviticus. God diligently applies his ten big rules to all of life in the real world for the nation of Israel to govern themselves. So maybe you're wondering, did God actually think his people would keep all these rules? No, he knew they wouldn't. God gave his rules so that people would not trust in themselves but in his mercy and grace to save them. 
So this is the reason for the tabernacle and system of sacrifices from Exodus 5 to the end of the book. It's a beautiful symbolic picture of the salvation Jesus Christ provides for us through the cross. Please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. By the time the nation of Israel arrives at the promised land 40 years after the Sinai campout, everyone who had heard God's ten big rules at Mount Sinai had died. So this new generation needs to hear these rules in a formal way for the first time. That's the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Moses lists out the ten big rules. In chapter 6, he declares what becomes the most well-known verses among Jewish people in Bible days. You know, today, our, we, everybody knows John 3.16. In Old Testament days, their John 3.16 was Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments or rules that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So... The clear command of the text is to let our love for God be the controlling factor upon what we do with your hands and what we think with our mind. The problem, however, was that over time, what was meant for the heart was no longer true in the heart. It slipped to the outside, becoming a way to look spiritual without being spiritual. They literally put the commands of Deuteronomy into little boxes and tied them to their wrists and their foreheads. By doing this, they believed that people around them would think they are totally devoted to God. This brings to the surface the big issue about rules. This is, this is tough to hear. can be. When God gives rules or commands, he intends them to be life-giving but over time, we distort his rules and add to his rules to make our faith more, measure, more measurable or more visible. Our rules become intended to prove to those around us that we really are holy. Then rules have a way of becoming a standard by which we can compare ourselves to others and measure others. And it doesn't take long for the rules we're living by to become a stick so that we can judge. That's when we become spiritually arrogant. There are two kinds of man's rules. There's the outward rebellion type. Then there's the type we're talking about in this message, the rules that we make in our best effort to follow God. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29, Joshua leads the nation of Israel to possess the promised land, but things begin falling apart. The kingdom of Israel splits throughout these several hundred years of mostly rebellion against God. There's a strong pattern of spiritual blindness. 
These people thought they were keeping the rules. Prophets like Isaiah continually hammer home the message from God, such as Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Why would that be? Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. I will never forget the first time I heard this verse, saw this verse, uh, about probably uh, 28 years ago, 27 years ago. And I was shocked that there was such a verse like this in the Bible. Folks, this is serious. When we think that keeping the rules is the heart of the matter, it's not. Flip forward a few pages to Hosea chapter 6. Israel is looking for assurance that they were good enough for God to accept. The prophet Hosea in chapter 6 and verse 6 quotes God. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What's God saying? He's saying, I want relationship with you, not compliance to rules. They try to be godly, but they completely miss the point. They mistake the, per- the picture for the person with whom they were supposed to be relating. They mistake the rules for the relationship. They live the list instead of the life, instead of the transformed life God wants for them. Missing the point is the same as missing the mark. The word for sin, uh, the, the word sin in, in Scripture is derived from the word harmartano, harmartano, referring to missing the mark by breaking God's rules, his commandments. Missing the point will always have consequences. The consequence of Israel's idolatrous ways is the devastating captivity of the nation of Israel. Israel loses their land. Fast forward to the end of the captivity, then eventually God himself comes to live among us for 33 years. Jesus begins three years of ministry by preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Repeatedly in his first sermon, he declares, You say this, but I say this. You say don't murder. But I say, if you have hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You say, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you lust, you're committing adultery. What was Jesus saying? He was telling his audience on the hill in front of him, you can keep all of God's rules on the outside and still be breaking his rules in your heart. We can have all the appearance of loving God and not yet love God. We can talk the talk and not walk the walk. And that's breaking God's rules. To walk the walk, our hearts need to be connected to God and others in relationship with Him. When our faith becomes only a list of rules, we can look really good to ourselves and others, but God looks on the heart. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22, just before Jesus goes to the cross 
a Pharisee scholar comes to him with a trick question. Verse 36, Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you've ever seen this, this, this uh, honey, I shrunk the kids, or honey, I shrunk whatever. So Jesus is basically saying, honey, I shrunk the Old Old Testament. Two rules, love God and love everybody else. Everybody else. That's the whole Old Testament right there. It was an out-of-the-box answer, but those two rules are unmovable corner fence posts. And according to Mark 12.32, which is another snapshot of this story, the Pharisee responds by telling Jesus, Well said, teacher. These two rules are more important than all burnt sacrifices, burnt offerings and sacrifices. End of quote. Wow. The lights were starting to come on in his heart. Jesus responds with, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from that point on, the Pharisees decide to stop asking Jesus any more questions because Jesus is answering questions like no one had ever answered before. The questioner was very close to relating to Jesus as his savior from sin. A short while later, in Matthew 23, Jesus takes on the religious fashion show of the Pharisees. Jesus' words were direct and to the point. You talk a good line, but you don't live it. You don't take it into your hearts and live it out in behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. You love being put on a pedestal. You tithe every nickel and dime and every vegetable and berry, but things like compassion and fairness and commitment, you carelessly take it or leave it. You are blinded by your ridiculous rules. You are hopeless frauds. What an indictment. No wonder they crucified him a few days later. So Jesus goes to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. At the instant he dies, the thick curtain in the temple tore right down the center into two different pieces. And we're talking a curtain that was somewhere between six to eight inches thick. Just whoosh. The writer of Hebrews explains what this symbolized. Just like a will that takes effect when someone dies, the new covenant of having direct access to God through his grace was activated, replacing the old covenant of all the rules and the obligations of the old system of sacrifices and offerings. That is past. Jesus is buried, rises again three days later, Eventually, he returns to heaven, having given his disciples the mandate to share the good news of the life he offers all who will trust and follow him throughout the whole world. However, let's be candid. When men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument of controlling others. 
The stories of religious manipulation throughout church history are long and painful. Paul of Tarsus was doing his very best to add another chapter to this dreadful history when he was converted to following Jesus. Paul discovered that God was not an impersonal force to be used to force people to behave in certain prescribed ways, but God through Jesus was a personal Savior who wanted to set us free to live a free life. God does not coerce us from without, but sets us free from within. The Apostle Paul radically changed from persecuting the church to planting churches, inviting everyone he met into this free life. In his early travels, he founded a series of churches in Galatia. A few years later, he got word that some of the old school church leaders were calling his authority into question and were reintroducing the old ways, herding all these freedom-loving believers back into the corral of religious rules and regulations. Paul was furious with the old guard for coming in with their strong-arm Bible bat tactics and intimidating the believers into giving up their free life in Jesus, and he was furious with the Christians for caving into the intimidation. His letter to the Galatian churches helps them and us recover the original freedom. Let's summarize here. God has rules. And man has rules. Man has a way of making up his own rules that mutate into opposition to God's rules while believing he's only following God's rules. Man feels better if he can add to God's rules to make himself look more holy than others. We all need help knowing how to break man's rules that need to be broken to better live in a healthy relationship with God and and God's rules, which is love him and love others. Jesus declares that ground zero of the entire Old Testament is just two rules, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus looks at the list of the Ten Commandments, he sees, yeah, the first four commandments is how to love God. And the, the next six commandments is how to love and respect everybody else. It's all about relationship. It's not the rules. It's the relationship. Friends, it's all about relationship. And Israel's big mistake so many centuries ago is our mistake often in the 20 and 21st centuries. For myself... Without question, I was raised to be the best rule keeper I could possibly be. I started handing out gospel tracts to my friends in grade three. I knew how to keep my hair combed just right and how to smile all the time. I loved underlining verses in my Bible because that's what dad did, and I sure wanted to strive to look as spiritual as he did. I wondered why my Christian friends didn't come to my church, because my church certainly had a corner on the truth, since my pastor preached salvation messages every Sunday. Pretending I never struggled was considerably more important than being honest with myself and with Jesus about my struggles. If my relationship with Jesus would have been tighter, it would have showed itself in having a whole lot more respect for all my siblings, especially through my teen years. 
In retrospect, I know, I knew I was the favorite child in the family, oldest of seven. <coughs> but today, I so deeply regret the maneuvering I did with my parents to keep it that way. It wasn't until I was several years into being a husband and a father before I started to honestly grasp what real relationship was about with Jesus, with my wife, with my family, and with everybody else. My journey of learning how to talk and feel and trust and think and choose and change continues to this very day, and I have decided I never want to stop this learning journey. We all fall into this trap of thinking that the rules are the reality. When I was younger, I definitely wanted to please God, and so I tried hard to be a person that would please God and live by the rules. I was very focused on what was right and what was wrong. I had very definite ideas, black and white thinking. As I became more convinced I was right, my attitude became harder. I definitely knew who was in and who was out. I could tell by whether they were doing the expected behaviors of a godly person. If anyone smoked or drank, they definitely were out. God could never use a person who did that. And then I discovered that Charles Spurgeon smoked a pipe. <laughs> Suddenly, my very clear black and white thinking was being challenged. My list of rules was not congruent with real life. I also noticed that some of the saints in the Bible were breaking rules. King David sure broke the don't dance rule, and yet he was described as a man after God's own heart. And then there's this amazing story in the book of Acts where Peter is directed by God through a vision to break the Jewish kosher rules. These were rules the Jews had been keeping carefully for centuries even though kosher rules are not on my list, they sure were a big deal in the New Testament. The early church almost split over it. Read Acts chapter 15. Their conclusion? All those Old Testament Jewish rules no longer applied to Gentile believers. Wow. Talk about letting a rule list go. The longer I have lived, folks, the more I have recognized that life is not as simple as a list of rules. Life is not all black and white. I have quit judging people. There's an awful lot of gray. In fact, wisdom is the ability to choose in the midst of confusing and gray areas of life. Especially during COVID. So what's the point? I think the point God wants us to see here is that life is supposed to be about relationship. John 13, Jesus said, verse 34 and 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciple. By the quality of relationship you have, not by how well we keep all the rules. It's how well do you love. That's a relationship word. It really does boil down to loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbor as much as myself. We start in Genesis 
let's conclude with the last chapter of Revelation. Revelation 22. I think that for many years, I'm embarrassed to say, if I would not have read the last book of the Bible, I would have guessed that the Bible close, probably closes out with God saying, come on, guys, kick it into gear. Keep all the rules. Don't forget the rules. Live by the rules. Instead, that's not on his mind at all. He says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say one word, come, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Just, just come. Relationship. And then the very last verse of the entire canon of scripture. Revelation 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let it happen. Verily, verily, truly, truly, amen. So be it. People of grace. It's not about the rules. It's about relationship. And God has completely bestowed upon us his grace. That's a relationship term. Unmerited favor. Undeserved love. Wow. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Please forgive us for Hamartano, for missing the point. Forgive us for missing the mark. We are in such need of your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us on this journey of shifting from rules to relationship, to learn how to love well, as that is apparently the biggest badge of our Christianity is how are we relating to you, to people at home, to our spouses, to our families, to our neighbors. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word and for helping us on this helicopter view of rules and relationships to be reminded of how much you long for us to just come. We who are thirsty, just come. You're ready for us. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome reminder when we are living with shifting COVID rules. Thank you for reminding us it's okay 
It's going to be okay. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.